Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Susanna Sly of Morristown, Tennessee. Susanna will get a marathon decal showing that she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoy and James Wyrick, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedure, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedure, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories, these are their stories. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at a classic Law & Order Season 8, Episode 5, Nullification. The new Sons of Liberty homepage, it's a militia. Maybe Jesse James and his pals were trying to finance a revolution. Joining me to do just that is true crime author, the host of the podcast Crime Writers On and Slate's Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Rebecca Lavoy. Hello, Rebecca. Good evening, Kevin. How are you? I am fine because our very special guest very today special. is the host of the Military Justice Podcast, retired Lieutenant Colonel James Wyrick. Wyrick, are you reporting for duty? Yes, Kevin, I am. Hello, Rebecca. <laughs> He's just going to give his, like, serial number and no. name and rank, uh, just like those weirdos name, rank, in this episode. Serial number. <laughs> so, no, it's great to be here. Thank you. I really uh, I really love both of you and everything you do. Oh, we feel the same. It's completely mutual. Yeah. It's going to get all mushy. So, <laughs> now, so, I've told you both that I really care for the both of you and I like you, but how did you choose me for this, this white guy conspiracy? <laughs> There's certainly like an awful lot of post 9-11 law and orders and SVUs where they bring in the military and they always have some sort of like weird tangential relationship to the war on terror or somebody in the military. And this one isn't that. But I still thought <laughs> I still thought that, you know, there was something about this episode that reminded me of Wyrick and it was the flag. Well, there's the flag, but and there's also the fact that Wyrick is, in fact, a talented and accomplished trial attorney in the military justice system and knows everything there is to know about courtroom procedure. And there's this whole confounding nullification part of this episode that... I didn't freaking understand, so I'm just glad we have a guest on who could maybe explain that to us. I think this is pretty clear. This is all about interdimensional shape-shifting child molesters sent here by Hillary Clinton. Oh, my Clinton. goodness. Maybe uh, <laughs> Meadowlark Lemon and the New World Order to create child pornography in a pizza parlor. That's right. That's right. I thought. Oh my so we're not turning this into info wars, right? No, we are not. Oh, we're 100% not doing that. Now, Warwick, you're our only guest who's been both to boot camp and to law school. So which taught you how to be more ruthless? 
Oh God, it's it's a mix. It's just <laughs> it just <laughs> they doubled up on each other. And in fact, this um, when this first came out, this episode we're talking about, I was in law school, and this is when it Law and Order kind of starts jumping the shark for me because I start to learn about the law. So then it becomes <laughs> a little. I still love the show, but in a different way now. Yeah, our, our uh, last guest, who was also an attorney, uh, once you see how the sausage is made, <laughs> it's very hard to, to go back. She's like, I thought it was all going to be wearing silk blouses and nice suits, and then I learned it's just being bored and waiting for shit to happen. Yeah. Oh, and so much dead time. The, you, don't, you don't have the slick repartee. It's not crafted by Alan Sorkin. It is long breaks, people going and conferring with uh, other people in whispered tones. <laughs> There's a lot of reading. Yes. Yes. A lot of reading. Yes. And a lot of writing of boring things that get edited later. And yes. Get- now, Wyrick, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite law and order detective team. Briscoe and Logan. Good pick. I yes, like classic. I like them. I mean, it was the first, what, five, five or six seasons. It still had this newness to it. You know, and then it becomes kind of campy later, but then you start enjoying the camp. That's a good crossover coupling because Logan is the original. He's the OG, one of the OG detectives. Yes, as I misspoke last week, and, he is in fact the OG. And then you have this crossover period, this overlap for about a season and a half where it's the two of them. Right. Briscoe certainly ends up being sort of the, the character, the centerpiece of Many classic seasons. Law and Order. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. And Wyrick, who is your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. Uh, but I do like Jack McCoy with anybody. So mm-hmm. in any matchup that he has, I have a big love-hate relationship with Jack McCoy. I mean, he's he does a great job at this character, but this character is so ridiculous at, <laughs> at some point. You just want to go, like, even the way he talks to his other counsel at counsel's table. I would wring his neck. Like, what? <laughs> you know, he's, he's just lecturing. He's like, well, I guess you don't like America or, you know, like, Wait a second. I'm your colleague here. So I would want to stab him occasionally, but I, he is a great character. <laughs> I also happen to know that Wyrick has a big, big crush on Connie Ruberosa, which maybe he's too classy to bring up on this oh. podcast. But he is an original Ruberosa fan. I remember him telling me that a long time ago. That is true. And um, I, I, I mean, we can't blame you for that. She's... Pretty, Elena De La Garza, yeah, excellent, excellent choice, excellent choice, Wyrick. The Marines have good eyes. All right, now let's look at the first half of this episode, Law and Order Season 8, Episode 5, Nullification. Well, thank you, Off-Track Betting, for allowing armored car guards to just walk out the front door every day with the cash. Because what could possibly go wrong? I know, three guys in ski masks get into a machine gun fight trying to rip them off. One guard dead, one bad guy dead, one in the hospital. All this body armor, they forgot the bulletproof ski mask. Tell me this hump has a wallet. Our dentist, Fortuna Ayuvat. Our dentist, Fortuna Ayuvat. Yeah, Jesse James and his dead partner both had the same tattoo. An eagle with what? Fortune favors the brave. What'd you get from that guy? A long shot. Albie's gal paid $38 to win. Thinks the guards should have bet. Guess it wasn't their lucky day. Their weapons had been altered, and they used a custom gunpowder in the bullet to give them a boost. Both robbers are from the same small town and have the same tattoo. At the parlor, they say 12 guys got the same eagle tattoo. 
Briscoe can barely work his pager, so it's up to Curtis to scour the internet for that <laughs> tattoo. It's used by a group called the New Sons of Liberty. Ross gets a warrant for their membership list, and SWAT teams converge on the homes of 20 people. They find a huge cache of automatic weapons at the home of the dead robber's brother-in-law, Phil Christie. When questioned by the detectives, the guys literally give only their name, rank, and serial number. The lab connects the gunpowder from the robbery to the militia's ammunition, and the group is charged with conspiracy. Okay, so that tattoo says, Attendis Fortuna Uviat. So Ray speaks Latin all of a sudden? Ray speaks Latin like a boss. And it was one of those scenes where it was like, um, if any other cop in any other part of this franchise had seen that tattoo and recognized what it meant, it would have been because... I was in the service, and he was in the service, and I know. So I kind of thought that's where it was going. Mm -hmm. But no, he's apparently just a Latin scholar. Good for you, Ray Curtis. Very impressive. And a computer scientist, as we're going to find out immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows how to use a search engine. Yeah, for 1997, (laughs) it was pretty pretty well advanced. Well, can can we go back for one second to the beginning? I loved Briscoe with, you just knew it was going to come with, uh, because it was at the track betting parlor and Ris- and Briscoe with look like somebody you know lost their luck today as he's standing over a dead body like I mean that was too easy right that was so I mean listen gallows humor occurs but like that's a murdered individual and you're like looks like your luck ran out <laughs> looks like you shouldn't have bet on Albie's gal after all right, right? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, we shouldn't laugh because it's it's true. He's yeah. right. It's dark. I, that's actually the only time in the whole series that he ever made a wisecrack over a dead body. <laughs> <sighs> now we get to see the great detective work of Profaci. Oh, Profaci. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. So, yeah. at, so at last, the uh, Law & Order writers are acknowledging that Briscoe and Curtis can't, like, run everything down themselves. Right, right. I think, I think this is where, like, later we'll get, like, the necessity of having the backup swing team, like Finn and Munch. Right. And the other thing that I want to give them credit for, the writers in this episode, is that, of course, we have the Dr. Richardson. I don't remember the name of this Emmy, the one they flirt with, mm-hmm. who says she's a 27-year-old boyfriend or oh, whatever, Oh, yeah, which is and Briscoe would love that. Yeah, totally. But then we also have the ballistics expert, who's also a woman. Women scientists abound in this era of law and order, which I really appreciate. And Profaci is just running stuff down and making phone calls, which is great, because that's exactly (laughs) what he should be doing. We're going to need to know your whereabouts on the afternoon of Tuesday, August 8th. Profaci is uh, not exactly... uh, Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes, yeah. No, he's not. But Ray Curtis is. So there is this hilarious scene where Ray basically introduces Briscoe and America to the concept <laughs> of search engines. And he's like, all you have to do. I type in what we're looking for, Eagle Graphics, and the motto, our dentist, Fortuna Yuva. Search engine does the rest. If it's anywhere on the Internet, we'll get a hit. One of these days you have to teach me how to play solitaire on that thing. Bingo. This shows us where to find it. Let's surf the net. And then he does this hysterical thing where he leans back and put his hands puts his hands behind his head, like, you know, with elbows out, like, we just have to wait for the computer to do its magic. Yeah. And, and it was incredible. <laughs> it was an incredible scene. And then it zooms in on the screen. Uh-huh. And the name of the search engine is Search Me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because <laughs> they couldn't get the rights to Alta Vista or... Or ask Jeeves. <laughs> Ray definitely has superior powers of a Google foo here where he's able to track stuff down. The only problem is, though, I didn't hear the dial-up modem no. that he would have used. No, but there is a wonderful, wonderful piece of dialogue where he's at the computer at one point and you know he's doing all this computer stuff and it's like, what, three in the morning and he's uh-huh. still like in there. And he's in a chat room trying to draw out yeah, yeah. Um, militia people. And the only reason we know it's three in the morning is because their hair is messed up, but the lighting in the squad room is exactly the same. <laughs> and everybody in the background is exactly the same. But anyway, Briscoe says it's three in the morning and they're talking about conspiracies and Briscoe makes a remark. What are you doing? I'm looking for the black helicopters. And Ray, deadpan, says... They don't come near urban centers. And then he just has this little, like, smile. Like, he's just acknowledging the crazy that he's been reading. And it is the nicest, most natural scene, not only of this episode, but of many of the episodes of this era of Law & Order that we've watched. I love that little moment. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Wyrick, do do the black helicopters come to urban centers or not? (laughs) I can't tell you about the black helicopters, uh, but they, <laughs> but they are controlled by Hillary Clinton and the New World Order. <laughs> so, Wyrick, what do you think of everybody's superior recitation skills? Cray, Lewis, March 21st, New Sons of Liberty, 016. Robbins, Thomas, October 15th, Sergeant, New Sons of Liberty, 004. Brant, Matthew Jr., December 18th, 1980, Private, New Sons of Liberty, 018. Christy, Philip. August 4th, 1962, Major, New Sons of Liberty, 002. Well, during my time as a defense attorney, I would be very happy if they did that. At least they weren't talking and breaking down. But it is funny that they're just repeating their names and then date of birth. And then when you have their serial number, which mine, I mean, I could recite from memory, but it's just my social, so I won't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you notice that their serial numbers are like, you know, there's, what, 20 people yeah. in this militia? Briscoe really likes 004. Sergeant, New Sons of Liberty, 004. 004? What are you, James Bond minus three? Minus three? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Very, not a very clever joke, good. but funny in the moment, yes. Yeah, that was a good, yeah, James Bond minus three. Well, in, in the first half, when... The cops are talking to like the guy in the bait shop yep. or they make the arrest where they find all the weapons. Yep. You know, all of a sudden it's off the top of their head. They're, they're reciting the First Amendment and then the Second Amendment. Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech or the right of the people to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Is that the right to remain silent? Obviously. Anything I say can be used against me in a court of law. Militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. It's a dead solid lock that anyone outside of a law school classroom or possibly an undergraduate classroom that recites any part of the Constitution from memory is a nut job, is cuckoo bananas. <laughs> 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 and, they, and they do it forever in this. They got, they got one for every occasion, too. That might be the funniest thing anyone's ever said on this show. <laughs> because that is a tell, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's also... It, it, it's, it's a tell in a way that was sort of prescient, in a way, because... I really think this episode is a very interesting episode to watch right now for a variety of reasons that I think we should get into during the trial portion. But there is this whole militia thing in Hastings, by the way, which 
is hilarious because, by the way, that's where my sister lives. <laughs> <laughs> Side by the tattoo parlor. And it's a very, very unlikely place for there to be a militia. A lot of people commuting to Manhattan from Hastings. Not a lot of people living in the middle of nowhere, stockpiling munitions. Uh, but it, it, it was sort of an interesting look at kind of, this is post-Waco, because they mentioned mm-hmm. Waco like a hundred times in the mm-hmm. episode. It's clearly post that what TV writers think these people would be like. And yeah, they kind of nailed it with the whole recitation of the Constitution thing because we're seeing that right now. It's kind of crazy. No, they definitely did. One of my um, co-counsel on a a case that I was friends with for a long time and was a former uh, assistant U.S. attorney, they would get these guys, they call themselves sovereign citizens, and they don't believe that the Constitution applies to them for some crazy right. reason, and only the ah. Uniform Commercial Code does. So, <laughs> right. so they will copyright their name, and then when the judge or the prosecutor puts their name into a document, then they'll sue him for copyright violation. I mean, <laughs> yep. none of this is real, but they do have like this kind of scorecard or this this pre-set up way of doing things and they they've decided that like like the guy later in the the the, um episode says isn't it true that only people are sovereign courts are not sovereign (laughs) i don't even know what the hell that means uh we have a hey it's that guy yeah we do hey it's that guy why rick can you name the actor who played phil christie Oh, I cannot name him by name, but I loved him and uh, later as a vampire for many years. I mean, he's actually he's done many, many things, but he was in True Blood for a long time. Right. But Russell w- Edgington. Right, right. The actor's name is Dennis O'Hare. And right, he uh, was, uh, as you say, Russell Edgington in True Blood. And he's part of the ensemble cast of American Horror Story. Hmm. So every year he's playing a different character. We are ordinary people like you with jobs and mortgages who are willing to lay it all on the line because we are afraid of losing our freedom. I think this is one of six appearances in the Law & Order universe. Not surprising. His first time, he played a schizophrenic who also represented himself. You know what? I actually just saw that episode recently, and that's a really good episode, And he does a great job in that. He has played a priest in all three Law & Order franchises. Hmm. I don't know why that is. Maybe he just looks like a priest. Father Edgington. Father Edgington, yeah. But he's a great actor, and, and he's... He in this, I mean, if you saw him as the you know the evil vampire, it's hard to think of him as sort of this mild mannered, uh, earnest but uh, somewhat twisted guy. Uh, but he really pulls it off like in a in a very easy way. I will say Russell Edgington on True Blood was one of the greatest scenery chewing mm-hmm. performances on cable TV. And funnily enough, later in the series, Christopher Maloney came on as the next like Russell Edgington 2.0 kind of character. And it was so bad. Like, it was so not, like, the Russell Edgington, this guy. Like, Mm -hmm. this guy's just a natural. He's got a great screen presence. He sort of is back on his heels when he's overacting in a way that makes it, like, totally believable in a way that someone like Chris Maloney just, like, can't do. (laughs) So I'm not surprised they kept bringing him back. Yeah, because he also, and we'll, we'll talk a little more about the second half, but he is the bad guy, but in a way he has to be somewhat sympathetic he can't be a we have to have some feeling for for his position so why he he has to play it he can't come off 
you know, as Dr. Evil. He has to also have some bit of relatability, and I, I think in his performance, he does it. He comes off as you reluctantly agree with some of his points, and you go, oh... Yeah, you know, he seems like a good guy that's just trying to do the right thing, but, you know, it's a little bit crazy. As we mentioned, he tends to recite the Constitution. Odd. <laughs> <laughs> but he is, but he's sympathetic. You do, you definitely have that. I'm not sure quite as sympathetic as they make it out on the show. Like, I can't believe anybody, you know, that, well, maybe the New World Order is coming. Rebecca, you know what the bad part of going to jail is? Being in jail? No, they can't deliver Blue Apron to you when you're oh, behind bars. That's true. It's not like Goodfellas. We get to chop garlic in your cell. That's true. You can't have a knife. <laughs> but Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. Not surprised. We're like half of their customer base, right? You and yeah, me? I, I think so. We definitely... <laughs> we eat a lot of Blue Apron. We do eat a lot of Blue Apron. Hey, for less than $10 a meal, they deliver seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients right to your door. Some of the meals this month include basil pesto chicken mm. with summer vegetable panzanella. Nice pronunciation, Kevin. Did I get that right? No. How about, the, remember the meatball pizza with that fresh really mozzarella good. cheese and charmed tomatoes? Wait, that. Oh, I also like this one, the whole grain pasta and summer vegetables with heirloom tomato caprese salad. Mm, you love a good caprese salad. All fantastic seasonal stuff sent right to our door and so fun to cook. We love it. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash order. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so do not wait. That's blueapron.com slash order. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start Start saving saving today. today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Now let's look at the second half of this episode. Phil Christie, whose previous legal experience was being a bailiff, elects to represent the group. He begins by declaring themselves prisoners of war held by an enemy government, but the judge isn't buying it. At all. (laughs) The Geneva Convention defines prisoners of war as persons who have fallen into the power of the enemy. 
the enemy being the district attorney. And any office or branch of any government which is not constituted of and by the people. Your Honor, how long are we going to humor this man? On its face, this is a patently absurd motion. At trial, each of the defendants prove why they have bumper stickers that say, my son is an honor student at an anti-government militia. <laughs> they constantly interrupt the proceedings with recitations of the Constitution and Declaration of Independence. Uh, they get ejected one by one, and soon only Christie is there to defend the cause. Meantime, in the jury room, one juror is caught passing another anti-government literature and information on jury nullification. This is the concept that they have the power to exonerate a defendant from a law they find unjust. Those guys are kicked off, meaning losing one more will result in a mistrial. Christie continues to make the case the government is oppressive and pulls out a paper on jury nullification written by, oh, snap, (laughs) Jack McCoy. Damn. Ross finds proof that a juror lied about once being in a student protest group, which would give them their face-saving mistrial. But the records are from illegal police surveillance from the 60s, so McCoy refuses to use it. Out of principle. At closing, he turns it up to McCoy level 10, imploring the jury to follow the law. It's a hung jury, and McCoy promises to re-prosecute, but he walks away discouraged that even one person would vote to acquit. Now, it's really the second half uh, that makes this a classic episode. and Second half sings. Second half sings, <laughs> and you realize that you have seen this episode 50 times when it gets to the discussion about the flag. <laughs> Your Honor, we move that all charges be dismissed on the grounds that we are prisoners of war. Mr. Christie, this is a civilian criminal court. I have no authority to rule on your motion. You do, Your Honor. That flag has fringes on it, which means it is a military flag, which means this court is a military tribunal. Our Mr. Motion- Christie, I don't care how many fringes, bells, and whistles are on this flag. This is a civilian criminal court. Got it? <laughs> Wyrick, I got to know, is there anything to the flag having fringes on it? Well, no, absolutely, absolutely <laughs> not. The, the fact that there, I mean, the, you can get into that, that only flags with fringes are supposed to be sail, uh, flown or the ensign, other word for the flag, is supposed to be flown on a ship. Therefore, they say admiralty law applies and it's in an international tribunal. <laughs> All of that is utter bullshit. But equally utter bullshit is the actor they chose to play that judge. Her? She, uh, oh no! It, I mean, she just comes off as so. She's like, "This is a criminal court. You understand? <laughs> it's civil." She does not want. It was like the King of Queens. Uh, it was like Leah Remini from the King of Queens was on the bench. What are this you is talking a about? Civilian criminal court. Understand, <laughs> Buster? I don't care if there are any bells and whistles on that flag. But she, I love how she just isn't having it. I love how she's just like, "Oh yeah, no, no, no." no. It's, no. That part is good. It's just like <laughs> turn her. They just want to turn her into a stereotype times 11. You know, like, is, is she just having coffee talk? <laughs> I want to know why, Rick, when you, you were a military prosecutor, did anybody ever say, hey, that flag doesn't have fringes on it? <laughs> no, no, I have no idea what that even means. Well, Clearly, I'm in up. a civilian court. That's and right. I yes. flag doesn't have, that's sort of like people who say that stop signs with a white border are optional, which is like a pumpkin <laughs> thing the high school kids do to each other. That's all I can think about when I hear the stupid flag fringes thing. It's kind of like those cases where they're like, you spelled my name wrong in the indictment, therefore... 
you can't prosecute me. It's like one of those, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, yeah. Oh, you got the wrong flag up. Sorry, uh, I'm, I'm innocent. <laughs> if only were that simple. Now, we get to the trial, and I say this has got to be a record for how many times a judge got to bang his gavel to restore order in a single episode. Suddenly, now, whenever any form of government order in the court, I want you. Ends, it is the right of the people to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form. Yeah, it was actually pretty exciting. And the second judge I really liked because the second judge we got to see some of that stuff that like foils McCoy where the judge humors listening to the crazy like POW motion. And then, you know, the judge keeps saying things like, I'll allow it, which, by the way, like (laughs) that only happens on Law and Order, right? Where judges are allowing things all the time just so the audience can hear them. And that, you know, this is the part of the episode, too, where we get to hear like the manifesto, which isn't entirely crazy, by the way, which is a fun part of the episode. Like when you hear the manifesto, you're like, oh, these are just suburban guys who just (laughs) want things to be okay. It's not so bad. Anyway, I did love the second judge and I kind of liked how it sort of brought us into that whole trial part, which is the part that sings. It was good. I think it got into a little bit of like an 80s montage of him standing up and saying, you know, silence in my court, take them out, (laughs) you know, and he's looming over them every time. But no, you're right that uh, overall judges and attorneys they just are ludicrous in in, when you when you actually have been in a trial like every judge on law and order you know there's an objection and he'll say well i'm gonna allow it but i'm i'm gonna give you just a little bit of a short leash i'm gonna allow it but i'm not gonna like it right like no they never say that and they and you never object with just with the word objection if you don't state your basis for the objection it doesn't even preserve the record so they only just and nobody does objection come on <laughs> what no well, what's, what's the basis of your objection you know <laughs> hey there's this great scene where mccoy and schiff are recalling an argument they had where mccoy was you know, when arguing- you first applied for a job here we had an argument about some anti-war protests. Oh, come on. Yeah, they broke into a draft board and poured blood over the records. And you defended them. You said a bad law sometimes demands an illegal act. Nobody got killed. It was a protest. And they took their punishment. Is McCoy a hypocrite? Is that a real question? That's a real question. He's, well, first of all, he's a boomer, which I don't like. <laughs> They're just so Amen. annoying. Like, why don't you talk about Woodstock in a Beatles concert? I, oh, God, I hate you. <laughs> and then because everything's going to revolve around Vietnam and how that was so different. And I think we as Gen Xers can now with, with a good amount of assurance say that just just stop with that. Shut up, boomers. Just shut it. Yeah. <laughs> this is a perfect... You the, the fact that you just called him out as a boomer, that's kind of what I was trying to like put my finger on this whole episode. Because the liberal lefty McCoy, who believes that little guy should just be able to protest and do whatever, comes out when it's convenient for him. And the minute, the minute that his liberal lefty past is sort of brought out against him, he's like, but no... It is about the law. And it's like, fuck you, Jack McCoy. <laughs> so he is a hypocrite. <laughs> yes. He's 100% a hypocrite. That's why I asked if that was a real question. Yeah, because anything involving Vietnam and the White Album is just off limits for everything. <laughs> like that, that just changes the universe and anything goes then. But you no, know, you're absolutely right. He, he sounds r- ludicrous. 
So when they kept panning back to that certain juror, <laughs> that guy, you knew something was up, right? Totally. They were panning to like all of the jurors. You know, they would like kick somebody out and like the black guy in the front would be like, oh, that doesn't seem fair. No, but there was that guy with there the white hair, Wyrick, who kept leaning forward yep. and looking concerned. And maybe it's because he's a little bit of a, hey, it's that guy. Hey, it's that guy. Is he? That he stood out. Is he really? Yeah. Can anybody tell us where Walt McPherson? Clearly not. <laughs> In this country, the people and not the courts are sovereign. Isn't that right, Your Honor? <laughs> what, you know what he's known for? What is he known for? Well, he played Captain Gaffney on Homicide, Life on the Street. Huh. And both he and Sam Waterston were voiceover actors in Ken Burns' Civil War miniseries. Wow. Of course, the difference is that Sam Waterston was Lincoln, and he was the guy probably dying of dysentery and <laughs> right, writing right. a letter to his, <laughs> his wife. He was like some Confederate soldier. <laughs> now, everybody's getting thrown out of the court by the judge, and the judge won't let him present the evidence about a corrupt government. And for all that Christie is wrong about, he's not wrong that the system is rigged against him making that kind of argument against the government that the nation was founded on, right? I have to say, this episode did a very good job, and the actor who plays Christy, again, did a very good job of playing the beleaguered, the system is rigged against me guy. And Jack McCoy wasn't picking up on that strategy at all. Like, the people would get kicked out, and Jack would look smug, and Christy would like shrug his shoulders and be like, see, I'm not even allowed to say a sentence without someone shutting me up. Your Honor, I move you excuse the entire jury and declare a mistrial. Because they might acquit? Because Mr. Shelby is encouraging them to nullify, which is his right in an illegal trial. And you've already thrown out all my co-defendants. Now you want to throw out the jury too? I mean, it's not enough. You have the whole power of government behind you. You also have to rig the verdict. You entered the courtroom with the presumption of innocence just like anyone else. The rights that I am fighting to protect are your rights, too. I can defend my own rights, Mr. Christie. He wasn't wrong. What he was saying was cuckoo bananas. But if I were a juror and I didn't know <laughs> what he was going to say was cuckoo bananas, you have to remember, like, Jack knew what he was going to say. And the judge knew probably what he was going to say because, like, that kind of cuckoo bananas is familiar to those guys. But the jurors are just, like, people off the street, right? And so they just see a guy getting shut up over and over and over again. So I, I get it. I get why he'd be frustrated. Wyrick, well, take away his bad acts that are putting him in that courtroom. He, he does a pretty good summation of American dissatisfaction at that time, does he not? And he's clearly the finest actor in this episode, and he does do a good, subtle job of acting. I mean, not, he's the anti-Jack McCoy in that sense, <laughs> that he's not flying off the handle, and he's just saying like, yeah, you know, we were supposed to always do better than, you know, the previous generation. Is that happening for you? And, you know, we have less time with our children. We believe that our government has been sold to global corporations that are sucking the blood and the life out of this country. Uh, NAFTA, illegal campaign contributions by foreign businessmen, the sale of foreign policy. He does a great job with that. I mean, listen, I'm not talking about black helicopters or anything like that, especially in our current uh, political climate. But I'm saying the actor doing that summation does a great job. I actually think the speech itself, the summation itself, was interesting, and it spoke maybe to the time. What is this, 1998? 1997. So these are the Clinton years, right? Yep. Economy's booming. People are thinking 
you know, except for the feelings about Bill Clinton, like a lot of positive feelings in the country at that time. It was sort of like a, you know, a little bit of a, a good economic for some. period for some. Yeah. And the thing about the summation that was interesting is he was saying that, like, all the attention is going to poor people and rich people. And it's the people right here in the middle, like the average family, the middle class family that's just not getting anywhere. And and I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, that's the sentiment that we just heard in this past election. Of course, they didn't necessarily care that rich people were getting benefits, but it was very much aimed towards you know poor people. But that being said, it was a very interesting, prescient look at dissatisfaction in the middle class. And it was written really well and compellingly. And it kind of made me think, like, I hope nobody with bad intentions now gets their hands on the script because I sort of (laughs) fell for the guy a little bit. Rebecca, you've been getting fluoride in the water. It's tainted your brain. (laughs) (laughs) And then the uh, McCoy 5000 wanders on over and starts uh, giving... His roundup, I, the, the the best part I thought of his closing argument was that he started by, like, gathering himself and going, okay, like, <laughs> like this was going to be, like, really difficult physically for him. I can't believe I have to do this shit yeah. again. <laughs> All right. These guys did a great job of memorization. Too bad they didn't learn from it. We all remember that phrase from the Declaration of Independence about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, the unalienable rights of everyone. Notice that life comes first. Now, after all that, can anyone say why the fuck they shot up an armored car in the first place? No. <laughs> Just... They never explained that. They never explained what the plan was. They like the wife on um, when she was in the stand was like, he told me they had a plan to rob an armored car. Why? Well, yeah. They already the have plan. plenty of guns. They have enough money to get all those tattoos. Like, why are they robbing an armored car? <laughs> all right. Let's take a look at the real life story that inspired this episode. Can't it's wait. time for. Rip from the headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know <laughs> you who, know did, who it. did it. <laughs> you think you know who did you it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Rip from the headlines. This episode took cues from several high-profile cases involving anti-government militia groups. Largely unnoticed by the mainstream media, these paramilitary groups were made of people with extreme views. They trained, like private armies, sworn to protect the country from those they saw as enemies. Often, this meant the federal government itself. The militia movement made headlines after incidents at Ruby Ridge in Idaho in 1992 and the Branch Davidian compound in Waco in Texas in 1993. In both cases, federal authorities attempted to execute arrest warrants for illegal firearms charges. Both times, the raids turned into firefights, killing government agents, militia members and resulting in prolonged sieges of the compounds. A jury later acquitted those captured at Ruby Ridge for killing a U.S. Marshal. But during an FBI raid in Waco, three fires were intentionally set inside the compound. More than 80 Branch Davidians, including women and children, were killed. These incidents became rallying cries for other right-wing militia groups. They inspired Timothy McVeigh to detonate a truck bomb outside the federal building in Oklahoma City, killing 168 people. In 2014, it was estimated that there were more than 200 militia groups operating in the United States. Well, guys, remember about a month ago when it seemed so quaint, like a quaint memory (laughs) that there were these violent anti-establishment groups among us arming themselves and being angry. 
boy, those were the good old days. Yeah, like they? a month ago, we were clapping ourselves on the back for Chip and Joanna rebranding Waco, Texas into Fixer Upper Town, right? And then it all comes flooding back. <laughs> it Tiki does. torches, M16s, and... Fake military uniforms. Oh my God, it's, it, is a, it is a shit show. It is a total shit show. And I think that it goes beyond politics to say, like, we don't like Nazis, nor do we appreciate people pretending to be the military who are basically just living in cul-de-sacs wherever the hell they live. I just, and just to, be, just to be clear, Wyrick hates Nazis and Confederates just as much. Nazis are getting all the bad stuff, but you know what? You Confederates are jerk-offs, too. That's true. They have fought against the United States, goddammit. Yeah. Some people Hi. seem to forget, like, uh, conveniently, right? Yeah, hey, how's Atlanta? <laughs> hey, I have a question for you, Kevin. Yeah. You used to be a television reporter, and in one of the stories that you worked on for a long oh. time, you worked on... Uh, you were sort of like the conduit between somebody who was a tri-corner hat-wearing militia hero. Yeah, Ed Brown. And the rest of the world. Yeah. There's a video of you doing it on the internet. Did yeah, this you bring go back to YouTube. for yeah. you? Yeah. yeah, there was some of that, you know, and the idea that I don't have to pay my income taxes because some, uh, you know... Some line. And something some... wasn't ratified by one state. <laughs> something was misspelled in a parchment and it's a loophole. I actually had to go to like their compound. Yeah, the, in the, the woods. Ruby Rich guy was there. Yeah, I mean, we had uh, bulletproof vests that we got after nine eleven and gathered dust, and it was the only time we wore them and brought gas masks. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was a uh, it was a little tense. It was a little tense. And their property sold last year, or was on the market last year, and the listing said. Property may have unexploded landmines. Yes. <laughs> we can't guarantee. It's as is. As we is. We can't wow. guarantee you won't get blown up. That's right. That's right. So is it, wait, Rebecca, is that going to be your first episode of HGTV uh, <laughs> podcast with I, landmine I, removal? I could just imagine like Hillary, like trying to redo that. I love Like there are 47 landmines. I cannot renovate your bedroom when I have to remove all of these landmines. It's going to eat all of your budget. All of a sudden yeah. you'll have, it'll It'll just be property brother. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for us. I want to thank our guest, Lieutenant Colonel, retired, James Wyrick. Wyrick, where can our listeners follow you online? They can follow me online on Twitter at PodcastMJ, and they can listen to me on the Military Justice Podcast. It's not quite as fun as this podcast, but is anything. It's, good and, it's good and informative. Military but, um, Justice is a fine podcast. You shouldn't sell yourself short. Rebecca Lavoy, how can our listeners follow you? They can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy. They can listen to Crime Writers On, and they can check out and subscribe to my upcoming podcast, HGTV and Me. Where none of the stars get killed by landmines. <laughs> you can also tweet to us at Law and Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoy. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Promotions are handled by Lily Flynn. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. 
It helps others discover this program just like you did. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with U.S. Copyrights Act fair use exemption for criticism and commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. If you want to know what episodes we're talking about in our upcoming shows, go to lawandorderpodcast.com, sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in Square Egg Studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.